Exacto. Ladies and gentlemen, we are tonight. We are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling. And this is the main event of the evening. Please welcome your host for today. Jason is here. Dude, I, I swear to God, I'm not as big an asshole as it sounds like. And Troy is here. Hey, I call them like I see them, all right? Look at it this way. It's the first thing we've done together as a team. So I grab my dick, you grab your dick. You work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks, anyway. I'm touching my own dick. You're working it, and I'm loving it. Well, enough is enough, and it's time for... The Rundown. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, episode 323. I am back for the second week in a row. No, hopefully without internet problems this week. Apologies to last week. And with me, as always, is your host, Jason. Well, you can apologize for last week, but the reality is this show has such quality editing that they probably didn't even notice the problems. I think that was just us. That's right. If you want to hear some terrible editing, go listen to the New Blood Rising podcast, which this week you get to listen to one of the co-hosts apparently make a burrito in a microwave while they're recording. (laughs) But that's because... That is because they are inferior to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, and the Rundown Wrestling God Podcast is a perfect 10. The perfect 10! A 10! A tan! A fucking tan! Let's start off <laughs> with the SmackDown Tag Team Clusterfuck. So, at Clash of Champions, or Clash of the Champions, we learned that the Usos will take on The New Day, Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable, as well as the thrown together tag team of Aiden English and Rusev, which apparently is called Rusev Day. As well it should be. And it's true. It's true. Now, while I'm glad that they're doing something with the tag team division, I thought it was a little odd that the Bludgeon Brothers didn't get involved in this. But the main thing I wanted to talk about was the horrifically bad Chad Gable promo, which was horrifically bad. Where Chad Gable literally just kept saying, why are they in the match? Why are they in the match? Why are they in the match? Yeah, I mean... Why are they in the match? (laughs) And it's weird, because dating back to NXT, Gable was sort of the guy who carried Jason Jordan through promos. And now you look at Raw, and Jason Jordan's just killing it with his character at the moment. Um, But Gable seems to be sort of stuck in this whole thing. Uh, As for your point with the Bludgeon Brothers... Uh, that one doesn't even bother me because they're sort of doing their own thing, doing the the Braun Strowman monster just destroy everybody thing. And I don't think putting them into a match like this where they would have to be competitive uh, from the gate is is conducive to that. I'm more surprised a team like Brizongo isn't in this thing. That's true. That's true. I mean, you the know, Ascension is dead. We killed them a couple weeks back with no continuation or explanation of that story. Uh, despite the fact they told us that they'd be back next week. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think this would be a great spot to plug in Brizongo over Rusev in English. You know, you'd have to look at it as well. I mean, who 
who at this point is going to win those tag team belts? Because I know we're we're talking like maybe Benjamin and Gable might win it, but there's no fucking way that Rusev and English are winning it. I, <clears throat> and I don't know about that. It would be nice, but I don't know if we're going to see that or not. They're getting a lot of they're getting a lot of TV time, and part sure. of me thinks that there's like Vince's in the back going, "This shit's funny, pal. It's fucking fuck. Push them." Yeah, I could see that. It, I mean. You know, it is Vince. He's fucking Russian, oh. pal. <coughs> it's fucking funny. He fucking um, sings his name. <laughs> yeah. Anything that's anything, any singing gimmick is definitely a Vince McMahon gimmick. This is true. Or a dancing gimmick. Yes. Which technically the New Day have both of, but they're kind of, that's their own thing. So. Well, they don't really sing. He, uh, I mean... Depends on what you consider singing. Yeah, I, more ch- they do more chanting than singing, but they do black people singing. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, sorry, my internet was kind of cutting out there. I don't know what uh, what happened there. Totally didn't totally didn't say anything at, at all about a racist joke. Uh, so, Clean headed um, point. Uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of black people, uh, Jason Jordan, <laughs> a week after. Jason anointed him the best performer on Raw, continued to shine in his new role as whiny asshole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at a great match uh, with uh, um, uh, Roman Reigns, you know the whole Roman with Roman Reigns. Yep, sorry. Uh, which obviously got kind of fucked over by Joe, and kind of seems like they might be heading towards a triple threat at some point, um, because J- Jordan is kind of. Staying around that IC title picture, and Joe obviously is a big part of that as well. Um, but obviously, you know, as well as that, Jason might be heading toward towards a heel turn. Um, what did you What did you feel about the Jason Jordan, Roman Reigns, and Samoa Joe? I love I loved almost all of it. Um, I talked last week and like you said about how much I really think Jason Jordan is just killing what he's doing right now. Um, the character work he's doing is off the charts. The whiny little entitled, and, and you started to see for the first time this week a little bit of the crack in the foundation of his relationship with Kurt. With Kurt kind of telling him, "You can't fucking keep doing this. Like you can't keep coming to me and telling me I have to do this for you." Uh, so I think that's great. I think they're laying out a great story for him. The one issue I had, and it's a minor one, but it is a little bit of an issue. They do this whole thing at the end where Roman gets attacked by Joe. Jason Jordan makes the save. So the heel attacked the face. Jason Jordan made the save. And then the face fucking cheap shot at him with the Superman punch. But that is sort of Roman Reigns' whole gimmick anyways. Roman Reigns is a dickhead, uh, and he plays it very well. So uh, that's right along the lines of what he normally does. He, you know, him him beating the shit out of Jason Jordan, not out of character at all. So true to his character. I, I guess it just sort of struck me as wow, this is really weird. But uh, it was it was more weird with him with Jason Jordan trying to save the guy who he's actively trying to beat. That's this is true. Uh, but I think that actually provides us a good segue because it was far, far, far from the weirdest thing that happened on Monday Night Raw this week, Troy, because apparently Nia Jax wants to fuck Enzo Amore now. Not where I thought you were going, but yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 
I have my speculation on what this is exactly. Uh, I'm sure you have your speculation as well. But we had a very interesting backstage segment where Enzo Amore hit on Nia Jax, and Nia Jax apparently got wet for it. So No, no, I think it was the other um, way around. Enzo was just talking to his guys, and he turned around, and Nia's standing there. And he's sort of surprised she's there. Wait. And then she drops a how you doing on him. Now, a couple things wrong with this segment. First off, Naya, again, we talked from the, we've talked from the beginning of Naya's push here that she needs to be pushed as a monster, a, a destroyer, a serious, like, she's got rainbow-colored hair braids in. She's grinning mm-hmm. and smiling like an idiot. And now, mm-hmm. because, you know, women can't be strong and stand on their own, now she has to try to fuck Enzo because, you know, she's a champion and women got to... The uh, fucking uh, bitch is going to be all over the champions, pal. The guy's got a belt. Of course she wants to fuck him. That's how it works. Goddamn. That's true. Um, This is all fucking counterproductive to Nia's character, to her run in the long term. This doesn't fit what this character should be at all. If you took Alicia Fox, I mean, she's been passed around the cruiserweights like a bad case of VD anyway. If you gave her a thing for Enzo Amore, it would totally fit. I'd be totally fine with that. Naya should not be playing this type of role. Well, you have you have a woman who is the strongest woman in the in the women's division, who's apparently attracted to the weakest guy on the cruiserweight division. So I don't know if he's the weakest guy in the cruiserweight division. They do still have. He's definitely not the strongest. No, he's not. That would probably be Tony Nese. But uh, yeah, they've they've they do still have Jack Gallagher and Kalisto and that is true. Uh, but that that is true. Now, God, go no, God. Uh, you know, my speculation on this was that maybe this was um, their way of transitioning Enzo out of Two Hundred Five Live, um, kind of you know have some other guys to you know, take the place and make him Nia's heater. Um, because otherwise, what are you doing with this? You know, like what's what's the end game with this? Obviously, we know they've got really nothing for Nia Jax right now. She's not really a part of you know what's going on with PMS uh it so i i don't know um she's on the wrong show if she wants to start off kick off a feud with Enzo's last chick so i i don't know what the end game is on this and that's all i could think of is maybe this was their way of maybe hooking up with a manager a mouthpiece yeah i i don't know and <sighs> I, I guess I could see a scenario maybe where Enzo is sort of cutting promos for her, but it just, it, this is, to me, this makes her character weaker than it was before. And it wasn't, it already hadn't been presented in a great light. And I think this is going to really take away from it. She shouldn't be the, she should be the guy, she should, not the guy, she should be the girl that's dominating the cruiserweights in the ring. She should be kicking their asses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously they don't seem to want to pull the trigger on her being a monster. Um, so I don't, I don't know what they're planning on doing with this chick at this point. Because yeah, like you said, this does, you know, it, it's fine if you want to have her have a love interest, but Enzo is the wrong choice because exactly. he's such a fucking goofball. He's he's such a sleazeball. You know, if you had it something like you know Naya was getting together with one of the Uso brothers, sure, fine, I don't give a fuck. I think they're well, related, probably. They're, they're cousins. Way, but yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you wanted to, 
Yeah, if you wanted to have Naya, like, you know, get together with Braun Strowman, I'm fine with that. You know, what it, what what's weird about it is her getting together with a guy who's been always presented as a joke. And her flirting is a little bit strange, too, because it's like, what if you think of her character, like, what are you doing there? Do you even care about the championship? Because you used to care about the championship. But now you're like not trying to go after that chick that you kind of betrayed at one point in time, and all these new chicks are coming in, and you're just like, eh, I don't care. I'm trying to get my fucking pussy wet, you know? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know what the what they're doing with this. But then again, it's the same show that allows Alicia Fox to have a competitive match against your other monster, in Oscar. Yeah, because that was the other thing that happened with the women's division on Raw, and. It was awful. We'd really been trending in the right direction the last couple of weeks with Asuka going out and destroying people. Uh, and when, when Alicia Fox came out and I saw that's who she was facing, I said, all right, cool. This is another girl she can go out there and just destroy. And it doesn't hurt Alicia Fox at all because that's the type of role Alicia Fox should be in. Um, and then she was fucking competitive. Yeah. And it sort of undid everything they'd been doing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, we already kind of talked about, you know, Asuka having a competitive match against Emma and how that sort of kind of hurt her booking a little bit. And now to have a competitive match against a literal joke, a chick who was a jobber for the women's division not long ago, it does. I mean, I know you've got three hours to fill, but is it really that bad to have a, a, a you know, minute long match between these two? Nobody on the internet's gonna gonna be upset and and cry hashtag women's revolution because you have Asuka submit Alicia Fox in forty five seconds. Right. People are gonna be happy about it because that's that's her character. Right. The only time that she should have a competitive match is at a pay per view. Right. The rest of the shit should be fucking. Uh, you're not nothing to me. You know. I would rather them have her go against local competitors than have her go and have a competitive match against Alicia Fox. Yeah, that was just it was it was a total mistake in booking again, and I've we've talked time and time again about how they have not handled and stayed true to the characters that come up from NXT, and they sort of strip away everything that made them popular down there, uh, and, and I'm starting to see that happening with Oscar. And I said from the beginning it was hurting her push. I, I said from the beginning it was hurting her reactions. I think they started to come back a little bit when they started booking her correctly. And now I see this, and I'm starting to... I, and again, next week they could totally re- go back down the other road, and she could have a rematch with Alicia and beat her in 30 seconds. I don't know, but it looks to me like we're trending back in the wrong direction with her. Right. And you do have to kind of question, you know, well, if next week she suddenly has a, a nothing match against her, well, then why did why did... Why was it such a tr- trouble for her last week? You know. Well, you could yeah, you could paint there's the no s- real consistency in that booking. Yeah, but you could paint the story that you know she she learned from that match and found a weakness and just went right to it this time. So you could you could make that case. I suppose. I suppose. Um, go ahead, pick the next one. All right. Well, let's go to a little bit of SmackDown stuff because, contrary to Troy's recent opinion, Dolph Ziggler has not, in fact, been released. In fact. He's back to being pushed. <laughs> oh, 
if you could call it a push. So it is 2017. We have a feud where Baron Corbin, the big breakfast, is a U.S. champion. And he's feuding with Bobby Roode. And for some reason, Dolph Ziggler's in this match. So it would, on paper, you would think Ziggler's definitely taking a pin for whichever one of these two guys walks out with the championship. But then we decided to have it where Dolph Ziggler stood tall and beat the shit out of the two guys. I I refrain from calling Bobby Roode a young guy because he's 40. But in terms of WWE, he has very little time on, on, on his clock. And obviously Baron Corbin, the big breakfast, is the next big thing. Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, so Dolph Ziggler standing tall. Not a main event, at least, but still. Yeah, and to me this was a little weird because early in the show they announced that it was a one-on-one match between Rude and um, Corbin. And then just all of a sudden it was a triple threat. There was like, I, I don't really, there was no moment of revelation, at least that I saw, other than when Ziggler comes in and cuts a promo that it's a triple threat now. Um, I will say this. This sort of change all of a sudden coming on the heels of Ziggler's appearance on the ENC pod of awesomeness, uh, which I think I mentioned in the news and we'll talk really sort of, we'll really sort of get more into it later, um, is compelling timing to me. Uh, if you heard any of the stuff he said on that show, but I'm sort of thinking there's a chance Ziggler's taking the title here. That's very possible. We'll see, but I sort of feel like maybe they heard what he, some of what he said and they're thinking it's time to sort of give this guy a shot to do something. You know, it, it wouldn't be a bad position for him and you could eventually transition it back onto a younger guy, um, you know, have him put over a younger guy or put over Shinsuke if you want to revisit that feud because he's not really doing anything either at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean... At least he's not going for the world championship because nobody wants to see that anymore. So I'll, I'll give it to you. So um, from that, I think we will talk about some really good wrestling. So the entirety of Raw, you know, had had a bunch of matches, but there was one that surprisingly stood out above the rest. And that was the fatal four-way cruiserweight match that we had. So let's talk about the cruiserweights kind of stealing the show here. Yeah, and to me, the thing that stood out was this match was far more like the cruiserweight classic than anything I'd seen them be allowed to do before. Uh, It was competitive. There was a ton of false finishes. There were great spots, high spots, uh, risky moves, the Spanish fly off the touch. Ridiculous. Um, two Spanish flies. Yeah, these guys were allowed to go out there, and they, it felt like they, for the first time since they've been on Raw, they said, hey, no handcuffs, go out there and steal the show. And these guys fucking delivered. And this is what we've been saying since the very beginning with the Cruiserweights. You take these guys out there, you, let the, you take the restrictions off them, you let them work that Cruiserweight classic style, the indie style that they do, and they are going to steal the show. They are going to get the crowd. That was the hottest crowd for a cruiserweight match I've seen in a long, long, long time. Yeah, and 
it's been a year now. We've had 205 Live for a year. So it's it's about time they start actually, you know, utilizing some of the talent that they have there and trying to draw more eyes over to 205 Live. And, you know, it might hopefully it's not, you know, what too late at this point, but watching that match, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go watch 205 Live. I'll, I'll see what else they've got going on over there. Uh, I didn't watch it, so I can't tell you if 205 Live was any good, if if they, you know, capitalized on, on that or not. But I guess we'll see what happens, uh, you know, in, in the ratings department later down the road. Yeah, and, and the truth is, and we'll again, another thing we'll touch on later in the news segment, um, they're planning on going and touring with this brand. So they're, they're legitimately trying to push it. They're legitimately taking it seriously. They're legitimately trying to do something with it. Uh, we talked about Hideo Itami coming up and joining that group, so that's going to be a, a big addition for them. So there is at least, obviously, the outward appearance that there's some, some pretty good focus being put on the cruiserweights, and I hope that's the case. If what we saw Monday is any indication, we're in for a great ride with these guys. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so moving right along, um, let's talk about something that was not so good on Raw. And that was the Shield versus the Bar. Now, the match itself was fine. Um, nothing to write home about. But the issue here was, I think a lot of people thought Shield was winning these title belt title belts back. You know, you've got Roman as the IC champion, kind of a way to have all three of the guys have belts on them. And then the Shield wind up losing via DQ, Thanks to interference well, no, from no, no, Smojo, no, no, right? Nope, no, they won by DQ originally because Sheamus just stomped. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep, yep. So they they won by DQ because Sheamus refused to stop. And then Kurt Angle came out and said, "Oh no, 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 no. Wait, no, no. We're gonna restart this match." And then, via nothing other than them just getting beat, the Shield lost to the Bar. So the Bar retained their championships. And the shield kind of looked like a joke. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't have as big a problem with this because to me, this was almost telling a story. This triple, this six-man group tag match is, is scheduled to headline a bunch of house shows. So I think they were sort of setting that stuff up. And it wouldn't shock me if we see the six-man tag on Raw next week. Um, I sort of liked the twist that they almost out-shielded the shield. I don't think this is the yeah, end of so. the bar in the shield. I think there is going to be some culmination. I do think ultimately those titles end up back with uh, Seth and Dean. Although, I found it a little bit interesting. It almost seemed like Seth was complaining that Roman was sort of rubbing in the fact that he had a title in that little backstage promo. I don't know if we're starting to already sow the seeds of dissension, but it sort of felt that way. <coughs> you know... I think I think that we've always kind of had the feeling that this was going this was going to be a short term thing with the shield. So, you know, them building tension between those guys is nothing new. And you know, if if they if it results in Roman Reigns turning heel, I'm all for that. See, I don't think it's going to be Roman though. I think if there's a heel turn to come out of this, it's going to be Dean. Yeah, I think so too. I think that Roman needs it more. Um, but you know, yeah, Dean as a heel would be interesting to see as well. So, <clears throat> interesting last four topics we have left. Uh, uh, speaking of potential heel turns, though, Shane McMahon's kind of a dick. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we 
we already had kind of Shane continuing to, you know, to get pissed off at Owens and Zane and continue to kind of fight them. Uh, you know, Daniel Bryan, we started to see a little bit of tension between these two guys last week. And then all of a sudden, you know, we had, you know, Owens and Zane. They, they seemed to finally get their comeuppance and, and get the shit kicked out of them. And we literally had Daniel Bryan at the end be like, so we're done now, right? Like, we're, we're done punishing them. And then Shane just doubles down on his dickitude. And he's like, no, fuck it. I'm going to be the special guest referee. And if they lose, they are fired from not only SmackDown, but also the WWE. So do you think potential heel turn for Shane or what do you think is the culmination of this feud? I'm actually going to flip the script on you a little bit. I think this Mm -hmm. is a heel turn for Daniel Bryan. Okay. And I say that. Because if you look at the story, Daniel's sort of not on the same page with Shane. And he sort of feels like he almost is agreeing with Sammy and Owens that they're being sort of unfairly punished. And I can totally see a scenario where at Clash of Champions, Daniel Bryan, because he realizes the value of these guys to the show and feels like Shane is sort of being a dick, Daniel Bryan saves Owens and Zayn from being pinned. And aligns himself with these guys. Boy, I totally feel like if there was ever a, a like indication that they were going to clear Daniel Bryan, this seems like a perfect feud for him to come back. For him to get involved and then to lead to a Shane versus Daniel match down the lines there. Yeah, because he wouldn't have... Um, but even if the... God, it's, Go ahead. That's one of those scenarios where he wouldn't... It's, you put him in there with Kane, Daniel Bryan's got to bump his ass off. You put him in there with Shane, right. Daniel Bryan can be the, the dominant force in the ring because Shane's not a trained uh, official wrestler. So right. that's a scenario where Daniel can get in the ring and not really have to take a ton of serious bumps. Yeah, you also don't have... Shane's not going to be like Luke Harper and just accept it when Daniel Bryan says, drop me on my head. You know, he's Shane is, is too nice of a guy to try to inflict damage on anybody. So, yeah, I feel like that's a potential to get him back into the ring maybe not as a full-time competitor but at least maybe as a special attraction at mania um or maybe or maybe royal rumble even but yeah i do believe that daniel bryan is getting involved in this match in some point at some point or in some way rather it be that he you know distracts shane and maybe brings his own referee in or he comes down as a referee and we go full-on mcmahon referee battle uh i don't know but it it's it's interesting to see I'm still not a huge fan of putting that much attention on the GM and the commissioner of a show over your, your talent, but we do still have other other players in this. It's not just those two guys. Well, but they all, they're sort of utilizing those guys to elevate Sammy and Kevin. I mean, they're, Sammy right. and Kevin are much more important as a result of their feud with the McMahon family. Yeah, and, and like I said, I, I'll agree with that. Like I said, there there are worse things. I mean... <clears throat> we had a Shane Undertaker feud, you know, two years ago, and that did nothing for either person and took a spot from somebody else in the card. So, um, actually, you know, no, 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 it, that did something for Vince. It got him back his lockbox. Okay, <laughs> sure, that works. <laughs> All right, I, I think you, I think you understand what I'm using as our main event here. So, which, so which one of the women do you want to talk about first? 
Uh, let's let's start with the Riot family. All right, so we got uh, Natalia trying to pump up her lumberjills or lumberjacks. It seems like they're just calling them now. With a backstage segment where she was talking up, you know, the the squad of Tamina, Carmella, and some other... Oh, Lana. Lana was there. That's right. Uh, And then, from behind her came the Riot family, who, you know, kind of talked up the fact that, you know, they're there and and they're going to kick some ass. And then, obviously, they got involved with the match between Charlotte and... um, Who the fuck was Charlotte against? Uh, Tamina. Tamita, that's what it was. Sorry. Yep. <clears throat> um, and the Riot family came out and uh, got into the face of the Queef Squad. And then we made the mistake of letting Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan on the mic again. And it continued to not be good. <laughs> Sarah Logan's lines might be the worst written ever. And I don't know if that's her or if that's somebody else writing them because they're bad. She she's like full on fucking southerner at this point, and then Liv Morgan, the the line you know uh, nobody's safe when a riot breaks out is okay, and I guess it fits with them. But her delivery just sucks, dude. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about about the riot squad on the on the mic though. Okay, I'm gonna completely disagree with you. I thought Liv Morgan's delivery okay. was great. I really enjoyed it. Her sort of disinterested bad girl act is a really good departure for me from what she was doing with the spunky little you know spitfire gimmick down in nxt i sort of like her bitch Mm -hmm. face gimmick i think she's doing a good job with it i enjoyed the hell out of that um as for sarah logan sure her gimmick is country girl she's she's a redneck that's her gimmick so the fact that she sounded like a redneck to me means she was doing her job i don't necessarily know it's the right way to go with her but in terms of staying true to her gimmick, I think she did a good job with that. Um, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right for the announcers to shit on it, though, because they did. They made fun of the stuff that she was saying. Yeah, and, and I think if you're trying to get somebody, yeah, if you're trying to get somebody over, even as a heel, you can't have them making jokes about what she says. Yeah, just ask the Ascension. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so. to, but to me, there were there were some problems with the women on SmackDown. Um, for one, let's not, the fact that fucking Tamina just knocked fucking Sarah, Sarah Logan the fuck out. Like, oh yeah, that was a stiff shot. Um, mm-hmm. but moreover than that, b- before we got to the place you're talking about in the show, there's a segment backstage where everybody's basically saying I should be the one getting a title shot. Carmella has named her briefcase, what Frankie now? I don't really fucking get that. Uh, something stupid like that. Um, yeah. So all these women are saying, I want a shot, I want a shot, I want a shot. Daniel Bryan comes in and goes, well, we'll make it a lumberjack match. And now you're all lumberjacks here in the match. And they're all like, mm-hmm. eh, fuck a title shot if I can be a lumberjack. I'm cool with that. Made no fucking sense. Yeah, it didn't. It also didn't make any sense that um, I think it was, I think Liv Morgan dropped the line about um, even though he likes brunettes, he shouldn't like hate on blondes yeah the title matches between two blonde women yeah i thought that was so i thought that was more <laughs> a shot at um his wife it was but it also didn't make any sense when there's two blonde women in the match so yeah but is there really like her Are i mean really 
I mean, is Liv Morgan really? I think I think so. Mm, um, I don't know. But uh, either either way. But while I shit on creative for that, and allow me to say this, this is a little bit non sequitur. This isn't in the perfect ten. This is just a little aside because I happen to have come down to record this immediately after watching this week's NXT. I shit on creative all the time for not explaining things, for not having storylines that make sense. I turned on this week's NXT episode, and they're talking about their four qualifying matches for the Fatal 4-Way to determine the number one contender. The first match in this Fatal 4, the first qualifier they're showing me, is Killian Dane, which is fine. He was, to me, the star of TakeOver Wargames, so perfect sense for him to be in this. Yep. Taking on Trent Seven. Mm-hmm. Now, I, much like everyone else who follows NXT, I'm sure, is thinking to themselves... Why in the absolute fuck is Trent Seven one of the eight people that gets to fight for a shot at the heavyweight championship? If anything, Tyler Bate would make more sense than Trent Seven. Then they cut tomorrow telling us that Trent Seven won a battle royal in Lakeland, Florida at an NXT event to earn this spot. Very simple. Answers all the Mm -hmm. questions the viewer has and makes everything you do make sense. That is the type of attention to detail I wish we had in WWE. Hats off to NXT for your little shit like that. That's why I'm sort of looking forward to Triple H being in charge of WWE. It's never going to happen. Vince McMahon is going to outlive Triple H at this point. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if Triple H has Eddie Guerrero heart or not, but, you know, it's, I don't know. It's not looking good. Vince Ferratu? Lean to say. (laughs) <laughs> yeah all of a sudden you're just gonna see triple h get, get older and older really fast and then vince is just gonna come out and you're gonna be like didn't he have gray hair the last time he was out here why is it why has he got like jet black hair now vince's ben- anyway vince's benjamin button yes <laughs> he has very uh, he has very late late in life benjamin button disease where he's just going to quickly advance to childhood age at this point vince and mcbutton there you go. Uh, so we move on from from the women to the women, as Paige and her PMS sisters took on Sasha Banks. Now, I for one really enjoyed the fact that Paige even called out the fact that her and Sasha were friends. You know, she said, "You know, we were girls, but I'm going to kick the hell out of you." Um, you know, Mandy Rose to me still feels like the odd person out here. But it seems to be working. And obviously you said they've, you know, Mandy and Paige have that kind of background to them. So it, it makes total sense. Uh, I thought that the they handled these women a little bit better than the SmackDown women. What are, you, what are your feelings on this? Yeah, and I think this goes back to, to what I was talking about last week, where I think having Paige aligned with these the other two lends credibility to the other two. And I think that's sort of what's lacking with the NXT group because it's a mishmash of three different, totally different personalities with no real explanation why they're there, no real leader to follow, and no star power that's already established. I think that's the stuff that, that separates these two groups. Um, I also really like the part where she came in after the Alicia Fox match and said, you know, because we all know if you've watched any of Total Divas or followed any of them on Instagram that, that Sasha and Page are sort of, I'm sorry, Page and um, Alicia are sort of two of, two of the better friends in the women's division. 
Uh, and she really told the story, like, I'm not going to hurt you. I don't want, but those two do. And then they beat the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. Ah, that was cool. I like yeah. that. That was a good little touch. I, I'm really excited about this this group. This is the first time we're seeing a lot of attention paid to a sort of building a stable for women in the women's division, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, <clears throat> it um, it lends itself very well to you know a, a you know some face factions uh, coming up out of this, or maybe debuting some some more women as well. Um, and then obviously, you know, we do still have the opportunity for the four horsewomen of UFC to join up as well and maybe take on one of these teams, especially when you've got the built in person like Sony Deville, who has her MMA background as well. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they, they do going forward here. And um, I'm, I'm liking the fact that they are, you know, taking these two factions in different directions now. Whereas last week it kind of seemed like we were in the exact same direction. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was nice to see that, you know, that on Bra, Paige is a focal point of these three. Whereas on SmackDown, it's the three women as a cohesive unit. Right. So it, it, PMS start, is starting to feel more like it's Paige and her two heaters. Right. Which I like, you know, and that's the way it should be because obviously she has the, the, the longevity with the company, you know, she takes credit for bringing these two chicks with her so yeah. she she's the rick flair of the group it, it it works that way it works yeah. in that scenario where there's the one person who's the centerpiece the focal point and that's yeah. the other the other people are all you know getting her back that's when those factions work the best yeah and it seems like they're they're sort of doing it with ruby riot considering it's the riot squad you know but, but she's not like really i said well, at least with out. that yeah, she's not really standing out. It, it is more they give equal time on the mic to the other girls as well, too. So Now, this last topic, so we'll, the, uh, the main event of the Perfect Ten, if you will, I'm actually mm-hmm. very curious to hear your take on this because you didn't really follow the Broken Hardys gimmick that much in TNA. Uh, I know we had talked about it in the past. You were not impressed. It, it was TNA, and to you it was just fucking TNA. It was minor league bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um and it was hokey, and, and I get that. So this was really the first yep. time we've seen Matt Hardy debut his broken character in a backstage promo, whether it's broken, woken, or boken, I don't know, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, so this was your first opportunity to really see a live crowd's reaction to it, and what were your thoughts, Troy? So... I really enjoyed this actually and i didn't think i would because obviously i've seen some of the you know the things he's done before uh, you know i i watched the total non-stop deletion and everything like that um but i have to say hold on a second get out of here cats uh <laughs> i have to say that they did a really good job in terms of introducing this character you know you've already got Bray is always over the top. So having Matt come in and over the top or you know be over the top and out Bray Bray, I thought was really kind of interesting. Um and the crowd fucking ate this up. Mm-hmm. Like they were so fucking happy to see Woken Matt Hardy, you know, bring his broken universe to the WWE. Um the <laughs> the going back and forth with the laughing at the end uh 
I thought was was funny. Um, and it went on maybe one laugh too long, but it fit the gimmick. Because that's sort of the gimmick, is that it, to a certain point, it just becomes laughable. And the crowd laughed because it was, uh, you know. Um, his promos being as nonsensical as they were, I mean, he's he's against a guy who has never made a point in his life. So it's it's one of those kinds of cases where I thought the back and forth between these two guys was really good. I felt like Bray didn't really feel into it, if I would say anything about it. Because his promo to begin with, it seemed kind of lifeless and flat. I don't, I don't know if you felt the same way on that or not. I sort of got the feeling they were recording this at different times in different rooms. Um, and mm-hmm. that sort of makes it harder because you don't have that direct ability to play off of the other person. Uh, that that yeah. would help. And I think that could have created some of that disconnect. Um, and I thought it's interesting because you, you sort of touched on it. The thing that's made this broken gimmick work so well in the past is that it was campy and hokey, but it was campy and hokey in a way that the crowd was in on the joke. Um, mm-hmm. And I sort of felt like I was a little concerned that WWE was going to try to make it sort of a serious thing. And judging by Monday, it looks like they're going to go with it and let Hardy kind of do his deal. Um, especially after seeing that crowd reaction, I got to think they're going to trust him a little bit on this. <sighs> yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Uh, part of the charm of the broken gimmick was we talked about the hokiness and the campiness but sort of like the the insanity of the video packages and i'm curious to see mm-hmm. how this goes because wwe may want to wwe them up you know um which yeah. could take away from it a little bit so i'm hoping and i'm hoping this is just the beginning I'm, i want the whole fucking thing i want vanguard one i want senior benjamin i want brother nero when jeff comes back i want the whole deal if we're gonna go you can't be halfway pregnant right and Rebby will tell you all about that right yeah. You know, the, the the two things I take away from this is, one, this was a great introduction because it was just a promo. It wasn't, you know, his all of the other craziness. It wasn't him bringing a dilapidated boat. It wasn't him bringing a fucking kangaroo with the spirit of Joe Frazier in it. <laughs> it was just it was just his crazy promo against another crazy promo. And I think I thought it was a great introduction and also kind of a dipping of the toe in where they're like, okay, so we this worked. So let's see if we can take it a little bit farther. I think the other thing is is that um, every single Bray Wyatt feud is always he's super fucking crazy. He's kind of over the top, and the person opposite him is always the straight man. Is always like the serious like I'm all spooky. This is a brand new fucking territory for this character because now he's against somebody who's crazier than he is. And I think that that's great because we finally get to see, like, we might finally see a flustered Bray Wyatt when nobody's ever really been able to kind of throw him off his game. I think Matt's the perfect guy that can turn around and be out crazy him and throw him off his game a little bit. And I got to tell you, I'm already seeing House of Horrors Part 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this one, I think, would actually be entertaining. I think yes, uh, the other thing too, because I think if you give yeah. him someone like Matt to play off of in a House of Horrors situation, as opposed to straight laced and serious Randy, Randy Orton, <laughs> uh, I think you're going to have yep. a much better product. Yeah, and you know, on on top of that too, um, you know, we get to Matt might be able to finally shine. He always was kind of a underutilized talent when he was in his singles run. 
uh, blame it for whatever you want to blame it on, but this might be be his chance to, you know, if if the the Moses character we ever get out of it is just some really good feuds, that's okay. He doesn't really need a title belt. I don't want to see them turn around and instantly put the Universal Championship on him because first of all, that title doesn't exist. Second, it it doesn't really fit the character. So I'm okay with this being you know non-title stuff for for a while with him just to kind of build him and his universe. Maybe eventually, you know, bring the tag team belts back to him and when, when Jeff gets back around Mania. Um, on top of that, too, if the rumors are to be believed, Vince McMahon is a huge fucking fan of his character. So, and if Vince lets him have a little creative freedom, which, uh, with that promo, it already seemed like that was 100% Matt Hardy. Right. None of that felt like WWE writing on that. No. Because he was just, he was instantly into it. Um, <laughs> you know... Yeah, I think a lot of people, obviously, it's going to be kind of shocking. I look at it this way. Like, I I know the past of the character, so I am in on the joke. You know, my sister, a big wrestling fan, has never seen any of the Broken Matt Hardy stuff. And I'm sure she's sitting there going, what the fuck is going on with Matt Hardy right now? Um, but it's interesting. And they have, they have a story to tell. So we'll see how that story goes. Yeah, and I, I think the one of the, the things we're going to have to sit back and see is how far, how off the wall he's allowed to go and mm-hmm. what that's that's the crux of this character is to be off the wall if i had any one complaint to make about this it would be maybe sort of that this seemed like an instantaneous turn i think they could have done even a little bit of a slower build to it um with matt sure. sort of slowly breaking and bray sort of being the reason for it um but i'm happy just to see this gimmick in any form i can get so i'm not gonna be too critical of that sure so I think that will do it for the Perfect Ten. And you know what comes after the Perfect Ten. Hepatitis? Yeah. It's time for the It's time for the news. All right. Interesting. Uh, we got a little bit of a personal matter leading off the news desk this week. Earlier this week, some fans began noticing that the Instagram account of Karina Ellisteen was posting messages about infidelity and that she's no longer married to Kevin Owens. Around the same time, the WWE Superstar's Instagram account was deleted completely. Some time passed and everything that was posted about infidelity on Karina's page was deleted. Uh, The items in question were posted that a little sign that said, didn't learn my lesson after the fifth time, rolled her eyes. Don't be sorry I trusted you. My mistake, not yours. And then somebody posted under a picture of her, wow, that's KO's wife. He's really lucky. And somebody posted under her account, don't tag that piece of shit liar uh, in regards to her being lucky. Not anymore, LOL. Uh, and then somebody said in, rega- in response to that's his wife, she said, not anymore, he's not. Or her husband, not, not anymore, he's not. Um, after the, after that, she took to her Twitter to say, guys, I saw all this not long ago. I got hacked. It's very upsetting. None of this is true. Everything is good. Kevin deleted his Instagram because someone tried to get into his, probably the same person who got into mine. Later, Kevin Owens took to Twitter to say, social media is an absolute cesspool. The way some people try to ruin people's lives for no apparent reason is genuinely depressing. My Instagram is gone again, and now people are going after my wife too. It's disgusting. Needless to say, I would never do this to my family. Here, and, and that was the, the crux of that whole situation. 
Obviously, Kevin Owens has had issues with Instagram and hackers before. Uh, so this was sad to see that people are going after his family. It's just, you have to be a real piece of shit. I've never really understood the, like, hacking someone's account to do stuff like this. Where you're just like, I'm going to make it look like you cheated on her. Like, what's the fucking point, dude? Like, no, but first of all, nobody's going to believe it. And second of all, like, what's the end game on that? You got a couple of laughs. Oh, good. You know? And guess what? You know, you can get you can get fucking jail time for that if they find out who you were. Mm. So, you know, it's it doesn't seem worth it. And it seems so fucking stupid and childish. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Hopefully people get this shit together in the world and not... This, mm-hmm. You don't have to spend your entire life trying to prove you're great by fucking ruining other people's lives unless you're a complete cunt. Anyway, and I don't even use right. that word on this show very often, so you tell, that should tell you how much that annoys me. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, former WWE superstar Candice Michelle wrestled her final match uh, in Troy's neck of the woods up in Wisconsin. Afterwards, she gave her a farewell speech to the crowd. Her retirement match went down at House of Hardcore 36 in, and you're going to have to help me on this one, Troy, Waukesha, Wisconsin? Waukesha. I'm trying to figure out what you... Oh, Waukesha. Waukesha. Okay, there you go. Uh, where she <laughs> defeated Lisa Marie Veron, a.k.a. Victoria, with a tornado DDT-esque-ish move from the middle rope. Uh, following the match, she talked about joining WWE through the Diva Search, how much winning the, women, winning the Women's Championship meant to her, and how she's happy to be a role model for her children. Um, I watched this match, and I wouldn't if I were you. Um, it was not the crowd really didn't give much of a shit other than the entrance Um, she came out to do her classic rip my coat off thing except she didn't have a ring jacket she just had like a red pea coat that she bought from Old Navy Um, she didn't obviously and you know she's had a bunch of kids I lost a little bit off her fastball she had a full body covering suit on um the match was bad, <laughs> for lack of a better term. The the move they talked about, the tornado SDDT, she did a... She had her in a front face lock, jumped off the second rope, landed on her feet, came to a complete stop, then did a DDT. Um, it just wasn't good. Uh, I was a fan of Candice Michelle during her WWE run. I thought she was good. Um, I thought she played her role nicely. Uh, the video of her having a screaming orgasm at the DX barbecue is still one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> but if you've competed on that level, that stage, and and you've been retired for years, I just don't get coming out of retirement at a you know bingo hall show. No offense to House of Hardcore in any way, but it's it's you know it's a indie promotion. Um, I get that it's in her hometown, I guess, or her home state, but I sort of feel like. You know, if, if WWE was in town and she said, hey, I really want to do this, they'd have thrown her a bone to give her, you know, one match on a show. This just seemed like sort of a real anticlimactic finish to someone's career. You have to remember that this woman has a grand total. Hold on, let me see, because I've got everything here. Let me see here. She has a grand total of 70 televised matches. 70 in her career. 
She has not wrestled since 2009. Nobody fucking remembers this chick. That was six years ago. Okay? She was a blip on the radar. Yes, I understand. She was women's champion. But she was women's champion in a time that there wasn't any talent on the roster. So... She came from yeah. from the world of Skinamax movies, just as a yes aside. Yeah, right, exactly. So you know, I mean, who cares? And yeah, you know, it was nice. Yeah, you know, she is obviously from Milwaukee, and you know, uh, I. But I'd be more interested in watching Lisa Marie Veron than Candice Michelle fight. Mm-hmm. And Candice Michelle couldn't wrestle when she was a wrestler, so I don't know how wrestling six years after you've stepped into the ring is really going to do all that well so i mean i guess at the end of the day i sort of guess wanting to to let your kids see you do it one time yeah this wasn't wbe coming back and being like hey go ahead um it was interesting placement on the card (laughs) being being the match before the main events but you know what are you gonna do i'd be interested to hear yeah i'd be interested to hear if uh um, you know, Tommy talks about it on on the next ENC podcast. You know, if he mentions it at all, or if he just kind of goes about his business. <laughs> but we, yeah. well, we'll find out in uh, two days when that drops. Uh, sad news: yeah. NXT superstar Kyle O'Reilly announced Sunday that his mother, Janie Elizabeth Greenwood, passed away last Wednesday following a long battle with cancer. O'Reilly posted a photo with his mother on Instagram with a comment on Wednesday, November 29th, having gained another angel. After a short yet courageous battle with cancer, my beloved mother has passed away. She was the sweetest, kindest woman I've ever known and encouraged me to chase my dreams. She was a devoted wife, mother, and nurse who dedicated her life to caring for those in need. I'm so proud to be your son. Rest in peace, Janie Elizabeth Greenwood, a.k.a. Mom. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. Um, obviously no, nothing more to say here just to pass along our condolences to Kyle O'Reilly uh, and send thoughts out to his whole family yeah I feel for him that's uh, you know that that's a hard thing especially you know considering her age and considering his age too yeah that, and, that is it's you know and and for a guy who's just sort of hitting the peak and the pinnacle of, of his career you got to think uh, to have to go through this and know that his mom's not going to see where he goes from here it's it's a really tough thing yeah yeah so yeah. uh it has been more than three years since batista last showed his face in the w- on wwe television but that doesn't mean he isn't thinking of a comeback speaking to legendary commentator jim ross on the ross report podcast batista revealed that he had spoken to chairman vince mcmahon about returning as a wrestler saying quote i've talked to vince recently and he knows what i want i've made it very clear that i wanted to go back and run a program with hunter I've been very public about it, and I think it's the thing that would get me back, Batista said. A feud with Triple H is something that he's wanted after the two engaged in a successful rivalry, which culminated in the main event of WrestleMania 21, though it probably wouldn't have been as successful if, you know, other people weren't involved. Uh, Batista wrestled a return to the WWE in 2014 after a four-year absence and won the Royal Rumble match before wrestling Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton in the main event of WrestleMania 30. Despite some issues with the fans during his return and some outspoken outbursts regarding the wrestling business, the passion still burns in Batista. He said, I've never burnt that bridge because I still love wrestling and everybody in the WWE has been really good to me. I have my gripes with the company, which I'm sure everybody does, but at the same time, I don't disrespect the company intentionally. I don't really have any reason to. I don't 
I didn't leave there under bad circumstances. I left because I wanted to pursue other things. I didn't walk out on them. I just let my contract run out. They knew I was going to be leaving. I did business the right way. I'm really thankful that I did. The short answer to that is yes, I would love to go back, but the reason I have not gone back is because I don't want to do a one-off. I want to go back and I want to wrestle. I want to go back and do some house shows. I want to be part of the program and love it. The one-off thing, the cheap pop thing, that doesn't do it for me. Batista's dedication to wrestling has never been in doubt, as he spoke in May about his desire to wrestle purely for the fans and arenas rather than on television. He seemed more interested in a full-time return in his interview with Ross, but said that he would, it would need to be impactful rather than nostalgic. He said, It's a matter of scheduling. If I can go back and if I happen to get injured, and it's not going to affect anything else. Uh, it took me a few months last time I went back. It took me three months to really get into a groove and get people to react the way I thought they were going to react. Um, I sort of appreciated the fact that it, he comes across as genuinely wanting to go back and, and do something special rather than just go back and get the paycheck. The fact that he doesn't want to do the one-off, I'm a celebrity appearance, a.k.a. Brock Lesnar, I sort of respect. He doesn't... You can believe it because he doesn't need the WWE. He's a huge star right now, thanks to the Gardens of the Galaxy, you know, thanks to some of the other movies. He doesn't he doesn't need wrestling. So the fact that he wants to come back, you can feel like he really wants to come back. So, and, you know, obviously he probably wants to erase the Blue Tista that everyone remembers from him and, you know, the last run not being very good. So, yeah, I think that he probably cares a lot about his his appearance towards the fans and stuff like that and yeah i think that uh i'd love to see him back too and see what they could do with him um i'd rather maybe not see them instantly jack him up to the mid to the main event um and and you know because that might be not the smartest thing to do but yeah i'd be interested to see see batista back if you were to bring batista back and do a storyline culminating at WrestleMania in a match between the monster among men and the animal, I'd be all in on that. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Braun versus Batista. Uh, you know, yeah. There's a lot of things you'd like to see, you know, Braun versus Batista. You'd like to see, you know, maybe Daniel Bryan versus Batista to kind of, you know, kind of continue that. And yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's other matchups. Obviously, you know, he probably wants to come back and work with Triple H again, but that's because he loves Triple H. And that's nothing new. Um, I don't know that anyone who wants to see him face Triple H again, but yeah, I'd be willing to, I'd, I'd be down maybe him against uh, the big breakfast, you know, just to see what, <laughs> see what the two guys could do together there. Maybe. There's a lot of fun matchups you could see. Maybe we could bring back Matt Stryker for a program with uh, Strowman, you know, Brains versus Braun. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Or you can have him get together get together with uh, Kalisto and relive the old Rey Mysterio days. That you could or you could just bring back Rey Mysterio and put the world title on him. Rey Mysterio no. <laughs> no. Never 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 again. Uh, people said that when they fired Alberto the first time. Just saying. I put Oh no, no, no. I'm I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen. I'm saying I don't want it. <laughs> Speaking of things Troy doesn't want, I put this article in the news section this week just for you, Troy. 
Uh, Shaw Guerrero is returning to the wrestling industry, but not actually to oh, wrestling. Oh, no. The daughter of Eddie and Vicky Guerrero <laughs> announced Friday that she is accepting independent bookings as a manager, valet, announcer, and host. In October of 2010, Guerrero uh. signed a developmental contract with WWE and was assigned to Florida Championship Wrestling, their developmental territory at the time. She was renamed Raquel Diaz in November 2011. Guerrero became the queen of FCW, a title she held for 119 days until it was deactivated in December of 2011. Guerrero won the FCW Divas Championship for the first time and became the longest reigning FCW Divas Champion. In July of 2012, Guerrero debuted on WWE's rebranded developmental territory, NXT, before leaving the company in September of 2012. She returned to the developmental system the following year, but was released in April of 2014 during a talent purge. She did not appear on NXT television during her second stint in developmental. In December of 2014, Guerrero became engaged to professional wrestler uh, Matt Rewald, who is best known for his ring name, Aiden English. They were married in January of 2016. Troy, are you excited for the wrestling return of Shaw Guerrero? Fuck no. <laughs> I think if you uh, if you tune in to NXT Revisited, you will hear my hatred for her. Thankfully, I have not had to deal with her the past couple of weeks. So I'm very happy, but I know I know she's probably coming back. Now, what is your issue with her? Just out of curiosity. I hate uh, She's annoying. Uh, she's not talented. Uh, she's annoying. But the annoying uh, did I part mention she was has her talent? Mm, I don't know. She's not talented. She's she's not, she's, at least she's not trying to. She's just not trying to come back as a wrestler. At least, so I'll give her that. She, she's not. She's sort of easy on the eyes, though. Mm, I don't. I don't agree with that. Her and Audrey Marie. Not a fit. Not. Mm-mm. Audrey Marie is a very beautiful woman. She just has terrible tits. I don't think they're terrible at all. Well, that's a matter of opinion. There you go. <laughs> you, if you if you have something different, do your own fucking show. <laughs> oh, the man behind the greatest entrance music in wrestling history has left the WWE after more than thirty years working for the company. Rumors surfaced Thursday that Jim Johnson and WWE had passed parted ways. F4WOnline.com and Fightful.com and Pro Wrestling Sheet have since been able to confirm the news. WWE has refused to comment on the matter, saying they don't comment on the status of employees, to which I say, fucking since when? Um, Mm -hmm. According to Dave Meltzer, Johnston parted ways with the WWE after his contract expired. Specifics on the situation are unclear, but Fightful.com has been told that Johnston hadn't been doing much work with the company of late, and the departure may have happened well before this week. Johnston was responsible for the iconic themes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, D-Generation X, not really. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior, The Rock, Triple H, The Undertaker, Chris Jericho, Vince McMahon, Randy Orton, Mankind, and countless other WWE superstars. In recent times, most WWE superstar theme songs have been written or performed by John Alcastro and Mike Laurel, better known as CFOs, the duo behind the themes of Bobby Roode, Shinsuke Nakamura, Sasha Banks, Samoa Joe, and more. So, Troy, I got to ask you are you a Jim Johnson guy or a CFOs guy? Um, it's kind of hard to say, honestly. I mean, you know, Jim, Jim had made a lot of fucking, you know, music that was iconic. Made a lot of and he was kind of a product. Well, yeah, but so has CFO dollar signs, you know, I mean, let's not forget that's that Cesaro's theme song is a CFO dollar sign song. So, um, I think that in, in terms of this case, Jim probably 
has a substantial paycheck every week. And when you're no longer looking at him as the guy making new music, it doesn't really make sense to keep him around anymore. So you probably have CFO Dollar Science as being cheaper, and a lot of their tunes right now are obviously, you know, very good and, and selling very good. So uh, I'm I'm all for, you know, making make it a change there when the change is necessary. And I think at this point it was necessary. Yeah, I definitely, I think CFOs have really been killing it lately. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see them get the nod of the other guys going forward. So we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, in a follow-up from a story from last week, there had been speculation on Leo Rush's status within the WWE after he removed all WWE references from his Twitter account last week and changed his location from Orlando, Florida to his hometown of Washington, D.C. The 23-year-old is, in fact, still with WWE and returned to the ring at last week's NXT live event in Lakeland, Florida. Rush picked up a win in a match with Adrian Javode. Uh, this was his first match since making an ill-advised joke on Twitter when Emma was released by the WWE in October of, on October 29th. In a report on Monday, PW Insider cited that this had, in fact, been the reason that he wasn't being used. Apparently, that heat has died down, and Rush is back to training at the Performance Center. Um, like I said, I thought, he, I thought the joke he made was unprofessional when he made it. Uh, he seems to have paid his penance, and now he's back to work, and hopefully he can put it behind him and get in the ring and make an impact. Um, you can look at a guy like the Miz as somebody who has to, uh, has had to overcome a lot and has was able to you know uh, make a really good name for himself. So yeah, it's it was a pretty shitty thing to do, but it was also something that he can easily play off as I'm young, dumb, and you know I'm, I'm I'm learning. I <laughs> I wasn't gonna go there, but sure. Uh, yeah, no, that's Paige. Uh, so yeah, so I'm. <laughs> I'm willing to forgive the guy. You know, he was he's he's new to the company. He doesn't understand. He hasn't built those relationships that he is able to go online. I mean, you've got guys. It's difficult because he can easily sit there and look at the fact that Randy Orton and Kevin Owens have been making fun of each other on Twitter for the past couple of weeks, but not not understanding that those guys have built a relationship with each other to be able to do that. Well, they were also so, they were also building a program as you're seeing play out on TV now. I don't think Leo Rush was going to be doing a program with Emma. Well, no, I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think that, you know, he probably looks at how some other guys talk around him mm. and doesn't understand that they've kind of earned the right to talk to each other like that. Whereas, you know, him him coming out and making a joke like that, like I said, not only ill-advised but also you know very disrespectful to somebody who you know it it sucks to lose their job mm -hmm. you know so but yeah I'm, I'm hoping that he can overcome and i hope that he can you know that he takes this as an opportunity to learn and not do this again because <laughs> if he does it again he's probably done yeah more than likely uh speaking of guys who have at times looked like they would be done Dolph Ziggler hates his current role in the WWE as a wrestler who loses often to the stars of SmackDown Live. Ziggler was a guest on Surprise. the EMC's Pod of Awesomeness this past week, and the trio began talking about Dolph's status as a workhorse guy who puts over the possible future main eventers on their way up. He said, quote, I hate it, Dolph told Edge and Christian, but also I'm someone who I hate that I'm not the champion. I hate that the show is not about me because that's the mentality you should have if you're in the business. If you're the, hey, I want to be the opening guy who works for 10 years and saves a bunch of money, that's great. But there's a thousand guys like that in the back. 
I want to be the best. I want to be the main event of WrestleMania. I want to show. Uh, uh, I want the show to be about me. So you have to have that mentality. But also, I've been around enough to know the score, to know what's going on. So I hate being in the position. I think I should be a bigger part of the show, but so does everybody else. The show-off did note, however, that he tries to see positives in the fact that he's been used on WWE television regularly for, regularly for almost 12 years and is grateful for his time there. He also made some interesting comments in that interview. I don't know if you had a chance to, to check it out, Troy. Um, he made comments nope. to the fact that the fact that I lose all the time makes when these guys come up and I'm putting a spot with them, it makes the fact that they beat me mean nothing. And that sort of echoes some of the sentiments we've said before. Is like if you put a guy in there with a guy who's a name but is a name that always loses, yeah, congrats, you beat the guy who always loses. So what's the big deal? Right. Um, and he also went on right. to say in that same interview that he's going to have to make a decision very soon about whether he wants to continue this role or if he wants to go find something else to do, sort of hinting that his contract was coming up soon. So all that added to the renewed push we sort of started to see on this week's SmackDown. I think maybe some people were listening to this interview. Probably. And, you know, I agree. He does have to kind of decide what he wants to do because it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to continue to put your life and body on the line for a, you know, opening spot, a mid-card spot, you know. He's to that point now where he could easily continue to drift down the card and, you know, be left out pay-per-views and, you know, really fucking hurt himself and screw himself up for life for what for a chance to you know fucking lose so i'm with you you know well one of the crazier stories of the week uh comes from squared circle sirens who say that sources within impact wrestling have told them that laurel van ness real name chelsea green has asked for her release earlier this month following the last set of television tapings while impact wrestling has how you doing sorry how you doing? Yes. Uh, well, Impact Wrestling. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I think you mean woo woo. Go ahead. Woo woo woo. Oh, I thought he was with Chelsea Green. Zack Ryder. Oh, Zack Ryder's with him. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So you interrupted my story for a joke that didn't even make sense. See? I know. Right? <laughs> uh, well, Impact Wrestling. Proceed. Yes. Well, woo woo woo. <laughs> While Impact Wrestling has yet to actually grant her her release, the site was told you know it should be coming shortly. The crazy part of this story <laughs> is that last week, Impact kicked off a series of events to crown a new Knockouts champion. Block your ears if you don't want to hear a spoiler. Uh, but Van Ness won the championship at the tapings. And in a, move that you know it. in a move that only happens on Impact, the girl who just won the championship at the tapings requested her release at the end of the tapings. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of par for the course for them. Uh, do you see a future in NXT or WWE for Chelsea Green, a.k.a. Laurel Venice? She has an interesting character right now. Um, I think she's talented. I think that with the WWE, you know, teachings with the, uh, you know, Sarah Del Rey and everything of like that, I think that she could become a very good member of the roster. Well, I mean, she's, she's trained by Lance Storm, so she knows her way around the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also on the same season of Tough Enough as Mandy Rose and Dario with Paige. So, eh, there you go. I'm just saying. <laughs> that works. Uh, Ford is taking John Cena to court after the WWE superstar sold a $500,000 Ford GT TMZ Sports reported last week. 
According to the lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court in Michigan, Cena was selected from thousands of applicants for the opportunity to, to purchase the Ford GT. Ford says Cena signed an agreement upon receiving the car that he wouldn't sell it for at least two years. However, Ford claims soon after receiving the car, Cena flipped it for a big profit. Uh, Mr. Cena has unfairly made a large profit from the unauthorized resale flip of the vehicle, and Ford has suffered additional damages and losses, including but not limited to the loss of brand value, ambassador activity, and company goodwill due to the improper sale. According to the lawsuit, Cena told the company he sold the car, along with other property, to pay bills. Ford is demanding that Cena hands over all profit from the sale as well as other damages. Cena is an automobile enthusiast and has a YouTube show called Auto Geek. During an episode he posted on October 31st, Cena got behind the wheel of a 2017 Ford GT. The Washington Post has since picked up the story and said Cena paid $460,000 for the vehicle. The article continued that after Cena was confronted about selling the car, he told Ford he would, quote, make it right, but according to the lawsuit, he never did. On Cena's Instagram account, where he only posts photos without giving any explanation, a 1980s Ford Mustang GT was posted on Friday. There are a lot of fucked up things in this story. First off, the fact that you can pay $500,000, $460,000 for a car, and then not be allowed to fucking sell the car that you just paid $460,000 to make your property, is sort of fucked up. Now... The fact that Ford, who sold the car at their asking price, is saying they suffered damages because he sold the car. So if he was able to sell the car for more than you sold it to him, raise the price of your car that you're selling. That's not his fucking fault. Uh, so add, and, and then add all that to the fact that Cena said he sold the car to pay bills. Because who the fuck knew that Cena was so hard up for cash? If you're hired up for cash, why'd you fucking buy a car? <laughs> um, so I will, I will say this. <clears throat> I don't know if this, if this vehicle is available right now to everybody, because I know that there are some, uh, some deals that are made where you know new cars that are coming out and everything like that before they're released to the general public, they will offer to some celebrities and stuff like that, so that way. That'll try to build interest for that vehicle once it does hit the street. And I'm not sure if that's the case or not. It does seem a little bit strange that they would say not for two years. That seems kind of fucking crazy. But bottom line, John Cena signed a contract. And that contract stated, you can't sell this fucking thing for two years. He proceeded to do it. And then it doesn't matter what you fucking sold it for. You still broke contract. So they have every right to sue his ass. Okay, in Cena's defense... He works in a company where somebody was banned from ever getting a title shot because they touched somebody, except they decided <laughs> to void that contract for one night so that guy could fight somebody. So maybe maybe he's that much of a mark of the business. He thinks that he can really do that kind of stuff. In his eyes, the way contracts work <laughs> might be a little different. Yeah, that's true. Um, also, I think it is kind of odd that this guy you're using his song, his uh his theme song for one of your commercials why didn't you just give him a car like you know but yeah the the fact that you know like i said the fact of the matter is you know dude broke contract he should probably get sued he should probably have to turn over that revenue dude also is a fucking idiot if he's trying to claim that oh i, I sold it because i had to pay bills but then well you know, maybe you shouldn't have fucking used, maybe you should use that money to pay for bills instead of 
selling a fuck, you know, buying a fucking car. And then also, you know, Ford for trying to claim that they've suffered damages. Nobody knew about this until you came out with it. So nobody would nobody would have fucking known that John Cena sold one of your goddamn vehicles if you didn't tell everybody. So that's on you, assholes. That's what I'm saying. Another one of those stories where, where everyone sounds like an asshole. Yeah, very true. Speaking of assholes, on Tuesday, Impact Wrestling announced via their official website that Scott D'Amour and Don Callis have been named executive vice presidents of Impact Wrestling. Uh, oh, that's smart. Yeah, I imagine they're just going to turn shit right around. Mm-hmm. To the best of my knowledge, Don Callis has never actually run a wrestling promotion. I've never seen any much value in Don Callis as a performer. Uh, I will fully admit I didn't see him much during his wrestling career. Uh, I saw him when he came in with the Truth Commission in WWE. I saw him as Cyrus in ECW. I've listened to him on his podcast, and I've heard him do a commentary on New Japan. Uh, I don't think he did any of those things exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. So, if you're... Agreed. So, you know what, though? I will say this. He has done one thing exceptionally well in his career, and that is fail upwards. So now he is an executive vice president <laughs> of a company. There you go. Uh, Can't take that away from him. It, oh, wait, you probably will in a couple of months. Yeah, Scott Demore has been involved in Impact on and off for quite a while. He came back to the company when Jeff Jarrett took power. Uh, and do we think he might have been part of a hostile takeover, kick Jarrett out and take the reins? I don't know. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not saying. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Oh, we talked. I'm not saying it, it didn't happen. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the future of the WWE's Cruiserweight division currently feels pretty up in the air. Moving a popular act from the tag team ranks to the scene in Enzo Amore and raising their raw profile with multiple matches on the main card at the TLC pay-per-view failed to create a sustained viewership increase. There are also reports that the Cruiserweights Network show 205 Live might be moving away from the live part of its name soon, and we can only hope. Uh, There remain signs in the company that they are not giving up on turning the division into a hit, however, as WWE's marketing department has asked what it would take fans to get them to watch. Not something you would theoretically do if you were planning on canceling a show. And there is a story this week which says 205 Live branded house shows are coming in the new year. It's a conservative-sounding plan. Two or three events per month run over a single weekend in smaller venues, possible even the same ones used for NXT shows outside of Florida. The first ones are said to be coming January 18th through the 20th to the Northeast. Aside from those dates and a similar weekend in February, Insider reports nothing has been set in stone and it's being seen as something of an experiment. We did, however, get a look at the first three dates and tickets for all three will go on sale Friday, December 8th, which is what, tomorrow, two days from now. Uh, the events are Friday, mm-hmm. January 19th in Kingston, Rhode Island at the Ryan Center, where I saw NXT uh, at live show, so I know the building. Uh, the Saturday, January 20th in Lowell, Massachusetts at the Lowell Auditorium. Also, the first NXT show in Massachusetts took place there. Uh, and then Sunday, January 21st in Poughkeepsie, New York at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. Optimistically, this would be the next part of a plan Vince McMahon laid out to investors in February of this year, whereby the 205 Live brand will become a standalone source of revenue for the company. That could lead to more money for its wrestlers from their cut of merchandising and ticket sales. Realistically, it's worth worth asking if the fans aren't interested in tuning in for episodes and segments which feature these acts, will they buy tickets to see just them? Perhaps those who aren't interested are the more mainstream WWE watchers, and a cruiserweight-only card will attract more independent wrestling fans. It's probably worth a two-month experiment to answer that question. Um, To me, this 
the, the timing of this, coupled with what we talked about earlier, where they seem to take some of the, the restrictions off of the cruiserweights on Raw this week, I don't think that's a coincidence. I'm all for it because, you know, what else are you going to do at this point? Make it its own brand. Make it a touring brand. You know, try to see what you can do on it. Uh, because otherwise, I mean, you're just spinning your wheels. But, yeah, I have no problem with them, you know, not being live because I think that then they have a better chance of, you know, doing some more production things and making kind of a better show. Um, and the only thing I would say is that they need to make sure that they do not charge the same amount for tickets for a raw recording as a two five live house show kind of thing. So, um, I, I hope that they're smart enough to realize that they cannot do that, that they can't do like a two Oh five live branded show and try to sell it at the same price as a WWE event. But you know, we'll see. I'd be fine with it. You know, if, so well, we'll find out. Oh, it looks like the situation between Matt Seidel and British Championship Wrestling, a.k.a. BCW, not Bruce City Wrestling, uh, has been resolved. Seidel missed two advertised appearances for the company over the weekend and did not return his booking deposit that he was paid ahead of time. As a result, BCW's promoter went public with the story, informing fans that he no-showed both events and failed to return the aforementioned deposit, which totaled $1,200 after Seidel's manager, Bill Barons, returned his $300 cut. On Monday, the BCW promotion announced via their official Twitter page that the financial dispute has been resolved thanks to help from Impact Wrestling. We at BCW would like to thank Impact Wrestling for stepping up and taking control of the situation. Uh, and we can tell you today we received our deposit back in full. Uh, store sources have since gone on to say that despite uh, the issues with Seidel, they still did not receive any money from him, and the money they, they did receive came directly from the Impact Wrestling offices. Uh, no word yet on if that's going to be taken out of future checks that Seidel would appear would receive for appearing on Impact Wrestling. Uh, so Matt Seidel comes out looking like a huge asshole here. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it before with the fact that, you know, Seidel missed a show that Scott Hall made it to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, and the fact that they had they had to take it public to, for them to get their their money back is bullshit, too. Like, you, you, you missed the show, dude, well, and he, which is your fault. And, and here's the thing is that he missed the show. They asked him for the deposit back, and he responded to them by saying, well, I'll just hold on to it, and I'll waive it for my next appearance. To Mitchell, like, why the fuck would they bring you back? You just no-showed them for two shows. Right, exactly. I don't want you to come back. Just give me my deposit. I'll get a performer that's reliable and wants to show up. Yeah, because the other thing, too, is he could say, oh, I'll just, just waive it for my next time, but he still has to agree to a next time. Right. He could just keep saying, nope. Nope, I'm sorry, I'm booked. Right. Sorry, nope, but busy. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking, you know. I mean, that's... For a guy who definitely needs, you know, the a good reputation for the indies because he could instantly stop getting booked, this is bad. This is a bad way to fucking conduct yourself because now there's going to be other guys that are going to be a little leery about offering you to come in. Yeah, and when you're a guy like this on the Indies who's a name 
the more waves like this, the less bookings you're going to get because promoters on the indies talk to each other. They all hear, they all have rabbit ears. Right. They all know the stories. They all know the guys they can trust that they can book that they can't. Um, so you know it is what it is. We talk about impact guys. I, I the come one of the companies I work for, UFO Wrestling, just announced their February show. They're going to have Falaba on the show. Uh, very talented guy, and I'm almost positive he'll actually show up for the event. So. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. speaking of guys who are assholes, Alberto El Patron was recently featured on the Keeping It 100 podcast with Conan and spoke of his breakup with superstar Paige. He confirmed that the two are no longer together and that the reason they broke up was because Paige began training in Orlando at the Performance Center, whereas he decided to stay back home in Texas so he could be closer to his three kids. Alberto added that the two parted ways on good terms, ultimately because it was best for Paige's professional career and his personal life. Uh, I listened to this interview. He essentially blamed everything that went wrong on Paige and her family uh, and their inability to keep stuff out of the media, particularly targeting Paige's brother with his, as the source of their biggest problems. Uh, Alberto took no responsibility for anything that went wrong in that relationship. Uh, and I seriously wonder if you put Paige under true serum and told her the WWE would held no repercussions uh, and asked for her side of the story, I have a feeling it would be significantly different than Alberto's. Right, yeah. I mean, we, we knew he was a piece of shit. So, you know, this just, just confirms even more that he can't even take any responsibility for, you know, any problems that happen in the relationship. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Well, this one is uh, just for you, Troy, because while Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville now are collectively known as Absolution along with Paige, Vince McMahon had a different name in, vi- in mind for the faction. <laughs> According to the Dirty Sheets podcast, Vince McMahon was sold originally on the idea of calling the group PMS, which would stand for Paige, Mandy, and Sonya. Stephanie McMahon, how so I'm saying. Stephanie McMahon, <laughs> however, squashed the idea, and the group debuted on Raw on November 20th without a name. A few days later, she made the decision to call the group Absolution, and the trio officially announced themselves as that on Raw, November 27th. Vince McMahon felt the PMS name was a suitable fit, as the trio would be angry at having been forgotten. He also felt that the name would escape criticism as the letters of the uh, uh, letters fit the initials of the group members rather than forcing it the way the company did in the in 1999 with the Pretty Mean Sisters, uh, which was a female stable consisting of Terry Reynolds, Jacqueline, and Ryan Shamrock. Remember her? Uh, here is what mm-hmm. a WWE source said about this. Quote, this was an idea for a few hours until Stephanie got wind of it just before showtime and shit canned it. Uh, Vince took some convincing, but in the end, the general consensus was that the children wouldn't understand it, and Raw is still primarily designed to attract an 18 to 45 male audience based on the advertising placed whilst Raw airs. Stephanie was able to overrule Vince and get it scrapped instantly. The change happened so late that the group didn't even announce their name on their debut. In hindsight, they probably have dodged a bullet on this occasion, but overall it's a worrying sign as the writing team generally felt like most of Stephanie's ideas are absolutely terrible. Troy, you, you nailed this one right off the bat. <sighs> Fuck yeah, I did. Because I know this company. Because <laughs> I know exactly, exactly what kind of company I watch. And I feel like I I knew it. I'm like, I was like, there. this is totally something they thought about. <laughs> not they, not they. So Vince. Oh, sorry, Vince. Yes. Pronouns, pal. God damn it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm. Um, I love this story. It's my favorite one. 
<laughs> All right, well, that is, that's the last story. But before we leave the news desk, I have a tradition on this show of giving out uh, plugs to podcasts that I like. This one is not even wrestling related, but I stumbled upon it last week, and I enjoy the shit out of it. It's called Lou Reads the Internet to You. Basically, it's this dude who goes and reads angry fucking posts on message boards of random topics and reads them in a delightfully pleasant voice in a way that makes them very entertaining. I suggest you go check it out. Uh, I mentioned it to some of the guys in the rundown, and they all seem to be enjoying it, those who have listened to it. Uh, I was. I definitely enjoyed it. Because it is fucking funny. <laughs> uh, and I like anything. Where, clearly, he does not put that much effort into, like, beforehand. Because you can tell he is reading He is reading things for the first time. Yes. <laughs> yes. His, uh, his foray into the Brazzers uh, forums was one of my favorites. Uh, but that is going to yes. do it for the news desk. And now we will go into our own forums where we discuss the world of indie wrestling coming near you. That's right. And I'm going to start it off because tickets are on sale now. you got to get them going here very fast because Friday, December 8th, at the Columbus Club of West Dallas, Brew City Wrestling presents the Jingle Bells Bash. Bell times at 7.30, doors open at 6.45, and tickets are $20 reserved ringside. General admission at the door is $18, or save $2 if you go to BrewCityWrestling1.com and use PayPal. Get your tickets now. This will also be the annual food, food drive as well. Um, they, I, I should have fixed that. I'm sorry. This will be the annual food drive uh, so to, as we try to put a headlock for hunger with Feed American Eastern Wisconsin. Fans are encouraged to bring at least two non-perishable items for the less fortunate during the holiday season. You, I don't know why you're trying to change it. It's getting off. This is this is Friday. It's not going to be on next week. <laughs> Already signed, Bruce City Wrestling Women's Championship Fatal 4-Way Match as the champion Evil Sierra takes on the Golden Goddess Lena Oro, Midwest Slayer Stacy Shadows, and Blue Phoenix Vanessa Azur. ROH star Beer City Bruiser with the mouth of the Midwest JP, will take on Brandon Blaze. More fandom money matches announced soon. Go to BrewCityWrestling1.com, follow them on Twitter at BCW1, or check out their Facebook page, facebook.com slash BrewCityWrestling1. And the day after that, if you are in the Kansas area, Saturday, December 9th, Midwest Entertainment Wrestling returns to Mount Hope, Kansas, Doors open at 5 p.m. Show starts at 6. Doors open to those with pre-sold tickets at 4.45. Get in before the unwashed masses. Ringside reserved is only $15. Adult general mission $10. Kids $7. Available online at mweprowrestling.com. Come out and see Mr. Fitness and... Whoops, I went too far on that. I'm sorry. I got a little happy there. Uh, Mr. Fitness and Midnight Rose, Samoan Predator, Christian Temple, The Mangler, The Honky Tonk Kid, and many, many more. Not to mention, you never know who from Total Action Zone Wrestling Team will decide to show up. After party at the show building with shaken or stirred bartending, who will be serving up your favorite drinks all night long. Shaken or stirred is available for bookings if you'd like a bar at your event. Also, go to shakenorstirredbartending.com. Concessions clearly will be available if you would like to order your mwe or the mangler gear before the show you can do so at mweprowrestling.com 
And also, there will be a pro wrestling seminar Sunday, December 10th from 2 to 4 p.m. 15 and up with parental consent are able to participate at 50 bucks per person. The seminar is also a tryout for those interested in starting pro wrestling training at the training school. I feel like Shaken or, Jason. Like Shaken or Stirred would be a great name for a strip club. Maybe it's just me. I feel like Shaken. I feel like Shake Understood would be a great name for a take team. That's true. That's possible too. Ah, on se- Jason Shaken in the ring. <laughs> on Saturday Jason night, Shaken December 9th. And Aaron Sturd. APW finishes their year with their biggest show of the year. Full force elimination. Both Adam from Nitromania and myself will be in attendance at the Boys and Girls Club of Lower Merrimack Valley, 18 Maple Street, Salisbury, Massachusetts. This is the second event in our Toys for Tots drive. Please bring a new or unwrapped toy and you will receive $5 off of admission. Doors open at 6. Bell time is 6.30 p.m. Our main event for the evening, a no countout, no DQ, final professional wrestling match for both competitors, the juggernaut John Poe and Apocalypse end their long rivalry, and both men are walking away from the professional wrestling industry. This is a night you don't want to miss, a match you don't want to miss. Also, women's match falls count anywhere as John Poe's sister, Belmont, will be taking on Vanity Vixen. These two are going to tear the building down as they almost did just last month. Just announced this past week, Danny Miles is going to take on Robo, the Punjabi Lion. The APW Tag Team Championship will be on the line as the main state posse defends against the unequaled one, Todd Sopel, and his latest protege, D.L. Hurst. In the first full-force elimination match, team captain Vern Vicalo will lead his King's Court into action against former tag team partner and captain of team First Family, perfectly fit Dan Terry. In the second full-force elimination match, the team Venom, Champagne Joe Moakley, the Sheikh Abdullah Hassan, the Canadian legend Matt Loudon, and bitter buddy Romano will take up, along with John Fabulous, will take on the team of American Maid, Captain Son of the Gun, Jake Sargent, and the returning Big Gun Jim Sargent, along, as two, along with two more partners. Just a reminder, the two the survivors of both of those full-force elimination matches will then go on to compete in the final full-force elimination finale to determine who will be the ultimate survivors. So you and Adam will both be there, and of course, if you are a fan of Adam, you're going to want to get in early because there's a good chance he will leave halfway through the show. <laughs> and then leave it up to me to do the rest of it. That's right, that's right. DOA Pro Wrestling returns for the Twas the Night Before Christmas special, December 16th. Doors open at 5.30 p- 30. Bell time is 6 p.m. at the Waddles Boys and Girls Club in Portland. Featuring DOA Grand Champion Ethan HD, DOA Pure Champion Julian Erwitt, DOA Tag Team Champions Four Minutes of Heat, Eddie Van Glam, Eddie Pearl, and Billy Pearl, Hardcore Legend Dr. Luther, Mike Santiago, Chef, Dr. Cleaver, CJ Edwards, The Higher Five, Draven Vargas, Patrick Large, and MJ, Johnny Paradise, The Hess Dynasty, Wade and Dominic Hess, Eric Wright, Northwest Express, Marcus Malone, and Flex Walker. Caden Cassidy, Kane Jaden, Clark Connors. <laughs> now I don't know if that's a joke or if that's the actual person in there. Uh, I'm going to skip that one. Damian Jones, Sonico, and Udo. You call him Damian Jones everywhere. Isn't it Damon Jones? <laughs> Sorry, Damon Jones, yes. I don't know why I call him Damian Jones. You- I'm going to assume the poop monster is not an actual wrestler. <laughs> 
But it's indie, indie, it's indie wrestling, so he could be, for all I know. See, I knew you'd skip Johnny Analog. I thought I'd throw a second one in there to totally <laughs> throw you off. Uh, <laughs> see, if see if it was B, you wouldn't be able to get that slip that past me if it was BCW because I know that roster. Right. You 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 could slip that one past me on the other ones though. <laughs> uh, <coughs> let me see. Go ahead. I'm just trying to find something here before I get into this. Hold on one second. Bear with me before I get into this uh, last one here. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't update it. Okay. Oh, Lucky Pro is off until 2018, but they're still going to be doing some good until then as Lucky Pro Wrestling and West Real Estate Special Toys for Tots Drive takes place on Sunday, December 10th, 2017 at the West Real Estate Office, 386 Main Street, Wilmington, Massachusetts, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. On hand will be LPW champion, the selfie-made man, Vern Vicalo, Impact Wrestling Knockout Alicia Edwards, LPW Hard Knocks Champion Brick Mastone, LPW Women's Champion Adira, Anthony Stone, Isana, Christopher James, and more. With the des- <laughs> with the donation of a new unwrapped toy or $5, fans can get a photo with an autograph from the appearing LPW stars. All donations will be collected by Toys for Tots of Massachusetts for the less fortunate on the holiday season. They're also taking mail orders. Please have a check or money order made out to Toys for Tots. The amount will be based off the number of autographs you are looking for. They are $5 per. Please include a self-addressed stamped envelope, and for that, you can send it directly to the West Real Estate Office. Again, 386 Main Street, Wilmington, Massachusetts. So I encourage you to go out and help LPW support Toys for Tots. Liberty State Wrestling returns to the John McCarthy School in Peabody on Saturday, December 16th with Holiday Havoc and the return of the Opportunity Knox ladder match featuring D.L. Hurst, Brett Domino, the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo, and the clinic Christopher James as they all fight for a contract that guarantees them a shot at any Liberty State's title whenever they want with no expiration date. Also, I'll take the women's championship. There you go. Also on that show, Big Bacon Brad Hollister makes his Liberty State's debut as he tries to take the heavyweight title from Christian Casanova, plus the return of the No Limits Open Challenge. Also scheduled to appear, Nico Silva, Robo the Punjabi Lion, Hammer Tunis, Setherin, Vanity Vixen, and more, and you never know where the poop monster is going to show up. All of that and more <laughs> at L- Liberty State's Wrestling Holiday Havoc, December 16th. I'm sorry. The guy making his debut gets a title shot. Well, big Bacon's a big, uh, big deal in New England. Oh, okay. All right, and that does it for this. The rundown. Thursday, December seventh, two thousand seventeen. It has been five hundred and seventy-three days since the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo won the LPW championship. I decided. And yes, I checked. Is that really true? Yeah. Wow. I don't know if that should be officially counted, though, because there was a hiatus for LPW in there somewhere. Well, but still counts. Okay, fair enough. I, I, looked through, I, I looked through the results, and I found it back in May of last year. And I was like, okay, there we go, 573 days. All right, fair enough. Follow us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. I commend you on your Check research, out our Facebook page. I do what I can. <laughs> I do put put some effort into the show. But you didn't know if the poop monster you do was all the... a real wrestler. Go figure. <laughs> it's been a while since I put that on there, so you got to bear with me. They announced that that show a long time ago, so I can't I can't be held accountable <laughs> for those kinds of things. 
<laughs> go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash rundownwrestling, even though we don't really put things on there. Email the show at rundownwrestling at... Jesus, I hate doing that. Email the show, rundownwrestling at gmail.com. When you put the at before and the at after, it just sounds weird. Leave us a voicemail at 617-863-6967 at 61 Rundown 7. No voicemail for Sal this week, so I guess he didn't care enough well, to be Well, we here. should take a second and say happy birthday to Sal. It's the... It's the little Taz's birthday today, so. That's true. The Taz maniac hopefully putting a nice little Taz mission on his wife as he gets some birthday sex from her. <laughs> We're now on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling to become the only Patreon that we have because the other guy fucking quit. Hey, dick. <laughs> but we got your money anyways, motherfucker. <laughs> Currently, it's just one reward level, the Rundowner, which are $5 a month, grants you one patron on the episode of the Rundown. Make sure to get on that, because then you have access to Needs More Mark Henry. Does that mean, You'll does get that, that joke if you become a patron. patron episode this month? Not until we have another patron. Okay. Why would we bother? <laughs> Nobody's going to hear it, then. Smathers, get on that shit. That's right. No, he quit. Uh, check out the Slash Sanitarium if you're a fan of horror. Listen to our friends the Kingpin Brian Malonis and Mike Crockett on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing with new podcasts Mondays and Thursdays. Facebook.com slash the WPAN. I think that uh, Jason gets a lot of love on there, but they have no idea who the fuck I am. No, no, they throw everyone's name on there periodically. <laughs> hmm. Check out our new friend J- Justin Michaels on his new show, Yesterland Waltz on Tough TV, now in prime time. Subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast to hear our other shows, NXT Revisited, which made its grand return, the Rundown Sit-Down, which will be off for a little bit, but coming off an incredibly great episode, uh, WrestleMania Salvation, where Sal talked through a funnel, <laughs> Glow Stick, if I ever get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> and the Nitromania Podcast, which... Very soon, we'll feature the one and only Rundown Wrestling host, Jason. Yeah. I, on that, on. Yeah. Which episode? I, I, I still have like two more hours of WCW to watch in preparation for that, and it's. I instantly regret my decision. That's all I can say. That's in two weeks? That's this week. This that week? Will, oh, Jesus be, uh, Christ. That will be next week. I believe we're recording tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Well, depending on on, uh, how much editing Adam has to do, we might never see that episode. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Jason for always being here. Thank you, Troy. Thanks to Ray Williams for the logo. Thanks to Jason for our brand new awesome theme song. Not really brand new. Next week, we bring you. Uh, I can call it a new if I want to. We can. Next week, we bring you Clash of Champions picks and previews. That's right. I fight dragons, you fight fucking dicks. You're fucking done. Next week, we bring you Clash of Champions picks and previews. Be sure to check us out and stay subscribed to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, a proud member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. And next week, we all talk. That's right. See you next Thursday. Bye-bye. Hello, Questionable Endeavor Network listener. If you're a current or former fan of wrestling, you should check out the Raw Attitude Podcast, hosted by me, retired professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. 
On the show, I chronologically recap episodes of WWE Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era, a time period where wrestling became more violent, more profane, and more sexual simply because, well, that's what we the fans demanded from the product in the late 1990s. Listen along with me as I revisit the crazy antics of The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Vince McMahon, The Undertaker, Mick Foley, and many more of your childhood favorites. You can subscribe to the Raw Attitude Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or you can listen to each new episode on the Questionable Endeavor Network website, questandnetwork.com. That's the Raw Attitude Podcast, hosted by me, Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. Oh baby, I like it raw, and I know that you will too.